Welcome to the Navigating Cancer Together podcast. My name is Talaya Dindi. I am a 10-year cancer thriver, cancer doula, and owner of On the Other Side. I use my experience to help others get on the other side of cancer. This podcast is about sharing stories, resources, and information about all things related to cancer and wellness. I interview guests from all walks of life who are living with cancer, caregivers, and those who made it on the other side. Also, I talk with organizations, healthcare professionals, and experts in the health and wellness spaces who offer complimentary and integrative care. Join me. We are in this together. Hello, and welcome to Navigating Cancer Together. My name is Talaya Dindi, and our very special guest today is Ms. Sadrola Maruska. She is a social justice, equity, inclusion, and diversity consultant and coach. She is also the host of the award-winning podcast, Diversity Dish. She is a speaker and aspiring author as well. She is, grad- she is a graduate of the Andrews University with a BA in graphic arts, a former conversational English teacher, corporate trainer, and executive assistant. Her passion is helping individuals in business cultivate cultures of equity and inclusion so they attract the diversity partnerships they desire. And she is also a breast cancer survivor and thriver. Welcome, Sadrula. So Thank nice you. to have you here. Thank you so much. It's so good to be here, Talia. Thank you. It's an honor to have you. And so, Sadrula, please tell us a little bit more about yourself and uh, what you're doing these days. Well, I am a mom to a 15-year-old and a 10-year-old. So I think what I'm doing these days mostly is driving. Okay. <laughs> Um, my son is a sophomore in high school. He's part of the play and he's, uh, and we're doing the three of us also are doing kickboxing together. Uh, my daughter is in the band and she's starting basketball today. So we've got a lot of stuff going on, but it's all fun. And my husband does, you know, he does do some part of some part of the driving, but it always seems like we're, we probably each think that we're just doing all the driving, but it's not true. <laughs> <laughs> and with all the activities you, you all have going on, that can feel like a lot of driving. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Back and forth and who's picking up who, when. So we have a, we have a very busy life, but it doesn't always seem overwhelmingly busy. It's um, gotten to a place where it's it's busy enough and we don't add any extra to make it overwhelming so that anyone feels, you know, completely bogged down. So it's, it's good. We also have a dog. Oh, wow. His name is Prince and he's, he's a poodle and he is so sweet. <laughs> oh, and I have to say, I love the name Prince. Is it after the former musician Prince? It is. All right. I figured that he's one of my favorites. So <laughs> mine too. <laughs> yes. Yes. And you know, I like that you said it's not overwhelming. And so it sounds like you found that balance. Yes. Well, I think after having 
cancer, it was one of those things that I had to re-examine mm-hmm. in my life in terms of how I was dealing with the things that I wanted to do or needed to do or was doing. I Prior to cancer, so that's before cancer, BC in my life, mm-hmm. it was, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, and I have to do certain things. I have to look a certain way. I have to be a certain way. I have to, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta. And after cancer, AC, I feel more that if it doesn't serve me, if it's making me feel some kind of way, then it needs to just get let go. I'm more intentional with my life. I'm more intentional with the things that I do or don't do or when I do them. I'm very intentional with everything because I realized going through cancer that I needed to take care of this body that I have, me, this person. And doing that requires me to think about what's happening within me. So if I'm feeling tired, I no longer say, oh, but I got to push through. I got to push. I'm like, if I'm feeling really tired. I'm like, you know what? It's time to be done. And I will get up and I will walk away. I'll go take a nap. I'll go read a book or do something else. But I listen to my body and it's not something that I feel we are taught. It's something that you kind of pick up along the way, either you do or you don't, but it's definitely not something that people say, you should do what feels right for you. It's always like, no, you've got to, you've got to work. You've got to, you've got to push, you've got to grind, you've got to, you know, (laughs) it's, it's like, I love that because you're right. It's not something that we're taught to do. And unfortunately, like society leads us to think that we are supposed to just plow through everything like machines and that's not what we're designed to do. We're not machines. We're not machines. And we really do need to take stock in what's happening with ourselves. I've learned to listen more to my intuition because intuition is there for a reason. It's not just there to be ignored. It is there to tell you something. I've learned to listen more to my, how I feel just in general. If something is, doesn't feel comfortable, then I step back and I ask myself, why? Why doesn't it feel comfortable? Because it's better for me to know and to examine that than to just ignore it. Because then you lose the capability to actually feel it, sense it, or see it. If you can't, if you're constantly ignoring. Mm-hmm. That's so true. And I can relate to that because um, I can say after my cancer, cancer diagnosis, intuition, intentionality have been, have become my best friends and they lead a lot of the decisions that I make. Whereas before it was all about, okay, this is what I should be doing. Well, right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, should is a word that I have, I am actively working to remove from my language. There is a place for it, but it's not in the place where I say, I should be at this certain place and I'm not at this age. I should be doing this and I'm not because of whatever. There, there are no shoulds in, in that. There's either you are 
where you're not, or this is where you are, where you are is where you're supposed to be. So there are no shoulds Mm -hmm. where it comes to, I should be here. I should be there where you are is where you're supposed to be and what you create and what you focus on and what you, what you build in that space is where you're going to, is going to inform where you go, which is why you need to be so intentional about the space that you inhabit every moment that you inhabit it, right? There's so many things now that I look and I think to myself, that would have made me mad (laughs) at a certain point in time. That would have really bothered me. That would have really ruffled. I, I would have been carrying that for a long time before. And now I, I'm so clear about it. I look at it and I go, huh, (laughs) it's all good, right? That would have made me mad, but am I mad now? No, actually it doesn't, it's not in the scheme of things. When you're looking at the big picture, that doesn't even matter. So you just keep it moving and you just keep on going and just, and allow yourself to move to the next moment. What I one of the things that I learned through my cancer journey and in, of course, doing some research was that stress is one of those big, huge factors that causes your body to go haywire mm-hmm. because you're holding on. You've got this cortisol that's flowing through your veins all the time, which it should not be. You shouldn't have it flowing through your veins. Only when you need it is when you should have it. And so I thought to myself, you know what, whatever causes me stress, whenever I feel that I'm getting to a level of stress, I need to stop and think about why that's happening and cut it out because I don't want my body to break down because of that. And in the work that I do, it also informs because I now realize that For years, you hear, oh, there's diabetes and there's hypertension and there's heart disease in the Black community. Mm -hmm. And it's more prevalent in the Black community as if it's intrinsically that way. But then you think about it and you go, wait a minute. This is a community that lives under huge amounts of stress put on them by different, by the system in different ways. And you're just going to say that, oh, it's just, they're black. And so they're just going to have these diseases. This is not the case. What is true and what needs to be examined and probably needs to be worked on is removing some of those stressors that are on the black community in terms of not getting paid enough, not having the proper healthcare, not having the educational system that allows for them to to flourish and not being hunted in the streets and not being treated certain ways so that there's less stress, therefore less cortisol, therefore less heart disease, Mm -hmm. less diabetes, less hypertension within the black community. But we have to really come to terms in how the outside, what affects us externally, affects us internally, how it affects us internally. And we can't just say, oh, well, that's just how it is. Because it's so, so true. That is true. And 
you have really said a mouthful, but you have connected it all so beautifully because that is how it's looked at. It's like, oh, well, that's just, you know, that's just something they have to deal with. That's just their health crisis or whatever. And it's like, no, it's a cause and effect. Mm-hmm. And you said it, it's a part of a system. And um, it's so important that we talk about these things because they're all a part of health care. They're all yes. about a part of self-care. And, you know, if you're having your emotions all over the place, you're carrying all this stress, anger, tension, whatever, feeling out of place, all of those things that affects your soul, your spirit, your, your cells, all of that. Mm-hmm. And so based on everything that you've shared with us, I am very interested in learning about how did you learn about your cancer diagnosis? Well, I went to, it was October of 2017. And one thing that I should say is that my breasts were very busy. I had lumps all the time. And so I would go and get them checked and we'd do an, an ultrasound or we'd do a mammogram. I felt that I was getting those things done almost every six months for a mm-hmm. long time. So I went to my regularly scheduled um, gynecologist appointment and I was taught and my nurse practitioner was um, doing the examination, she said, you know, this does, doesn't feel right. And for me, I thought, I thought, well, you know, I'm getting older. Maybe my breasts are getting more fibrous because that is a real thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I didn't really worry about it. She said, this doesn't feel right. I'm going to send you to, I want you to call this doctor's office and make an appointment. She doesn't usually see people until they've been diagnosed, but I just want you to go, I will call the office and make sure that they'll take you in. So it took me almost a month to call. And it wasn't that I was nervous because like I said, my breasts were very busy. So I would go all the time and I would have doctor's appointments all the time. It was not a big deal for me. So I made the appointment and the doctor wanted me to get fresh scans, fresh mammogram and ultrasounds the week before I went into the office Mm -hmm. and I went for the appointment and the doctor and I, she and I are sitting there in front of the screen and we're looking at my scans and she says, I don't see anything here. I said, I don't see anything here either because I've been looking at these scans forever and I could always, I could tell when there was a lump, when there was, when there was something and there was nothing, nothing on the mammogram or the ultrasound. And so she said, but when I look at your breasts, they look visibly different. So I'm going to take a biopsy. Mm-hmm. And so she did a punch biopsy there in the office. It was a Wednesday. And Thursday, I was up, I was fine. I went to a women's conference all day, was having a great time, didn't feel a thing, no problem, no painkillers, no nothing. Hmm. The Friday, I went in for another biopsy on my other side. So my right side is the side that she biopsied. And then there was a lump that was in my left side, which we had already scheduled this biopsy from months before because they had seen a lump there. Okay. So I went in and I had a needle biopsy in the left side. 
And it was a Friday. And thankfully it was a Friday because after I had the needle biopsy, I went to work and I was in pain for two days, Mm. my back, my everything. I was just in pain. I was taking um, over the counter uh, painkiller ibuprofen, but I was like, and then the Sunday we were scheduled to go to a a holiday party. So this Mm. was December. We were scheduled to go to a holiday party. And I was just like, I just want to feel better before the party because, you know, and then I said to my husband, I don't know what the punch biopsy went into, but mm. it could not have been flesh because the, the, the pain that I felt following the needle biopsy was 10 times what I felt the first time. Oh. And so we'd made an appointment, my doctor and I had made an appointment for the following Wednesday so that she would have the results from her biopsy and the biopsy that I did on Friday. Okay. So we went in and she said, make sure bring someone because we don't know what the results are going to be. Mm -hmm. I told my husband, you need to come with me. He was like, really? Because I always went by myself because it was always never a problem. And he says, oh, really? So why do I need to come? I said, because we don't know what we're going to find. And so Mm -hmm. it might be a good idea to have someone there. And so we went in on the Wednesday, which was December 13th, 2017. And she said, we found that you have invasive lobular carcinoma, so breast Mm -hmm. cancer on on the right side. And the left side came back with maybe some cancer cells. So I said, Mm. so after that, of course, I didn't hear anything else. My mind just, my mind just kind of left the room. My husband was there asking questions and, you know, and I was, I was just all in my head. Mm -hmm asking what about my kids? Cause you know, we go to from zero to, to death and you're like, my kids are little. And, and then I asked, what am I doing with my life? Am I doing what I want to be doing? And I, and the answer was like, no, you're not. And so I was like, oh, you know, this, this is not the time or the place. This is not it. This is not it. And so my the nurse, my surgeon's nurse was able to get me in for a, for all my scans all on one day, which Mm -hmm. was the following day, which that she was like, this never happens. She was like, Jesus loves you. This never happens. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Like, okay. (laughs) She says, usually it's like, you have to go in different days to do Mm -hmm. all the scans. I was there all day and I did all the scans the following day. Wow. Um, right after the appointment, I actually had to go get blood drawn. And, mm-hmm. and while I was downstairs waiting to get blood drawn, I, I called my sister and I told her what was going on. And I said in the same conversation, I remember, I said, you know what? I, this did not come to kill me. I said, this came to, to teach me something. And so I need, it's my responsibility and I need to stay open to whatever I'm supposed to be learning right now. That's right. And then, you know, I had all the scans on the Thursday, the 14th. I was there all day. Friday, the 15th, my doctor called me right around five o'clock. And I remember because I was getting ready to go into dinner with some friends Mm -hmm. and she called and she says, well, we didn't find anything anywhere else. It's just in your breast. Okay. I said, great, fantastic. 
I'm going on vacation tomorrow. I'm not going to think about you. Please don't feel offended. I'm mm. going <laughs> to, I'll be back. And when I'm yeah. back, we can deal with it. She was like, have fun. And then on set- Saturday, the 16th, we took off on a vacation that we had planned the year before for a whole week in Turks and Caicos. And it was fantastic. But, you know, it was, and, and that was just the beginning, right? Yes. We didn't even, we weren't even, we didn't even tell the kids then either mm-hmm. until we came back and we had a plan yes. and we, we could tell them if they had questions, we could give them more information, which interestingly enough, we got back, we got all the information and we sat them down and said, mommy has breast cancer. And my, my son goes, oh, my friend's mom had that. She's fine. Mm. You're going to be fine, mom. Can I go play oh. Xbox now? Wow. <laughs> He's like, okay. He's <laughs> like, you're going to be fine. Yeah. You know, he was, I think he was 11 or 12 and my daughter was six. And so, <sighs> and then, and she just followed his lead. And I was okay. like, okay. <laughs> well, Another affirmation that you're going to be fine. okay. That's right. Yeah. And I love how you said, well, I'm not changing my plans. We had a trip planned and in place. So we're still going to go and we'll just deal with this when we get back. And I love that you just kind of let it all go. And you said, hey, I'm going to, you know, take advantage of this opportunity to rest up and recharge and in a sense, prepare for what's to come. Yes, actually, Mm -hmm. it really was a very, it was a lovely time. It was very restful. I didn't think about cancer. I thought, I thought to myself that there's a transition coming. Mm. And so I need to be prepared for that, you know? And that was, that was that I didn't think much about what that whole journey was going to be about. I was like, Mm. I'll worry about that when we get back. I didn't want to worry about chemo or surgery or anything. I was just like, well, it is what it is, it is what it is. But right now I'm here and this is fantastic and I'm gonna enjoy this. <laughs> That's right. Enjoy while you can. Mm-hmm. And so what would you say was the worst part of your cancer journey? We we all have those stories. What was what did that look like for you? The worst part for me, I think, was having to tell my parents. Mm. Um, I wasn't worried too much beyond the initial, you know, what's going to happen to my kids. Um, but I felt sad, very, very sad that I had to tell my parents about this because I felt like I was letting them down in some way. Mm. And although intellectually, you know, that that's not really the case. It just felt that that I felt like, oh, you know, how hard is it? Because I know how hard it would be for me to hear from my son that mom, I have, you know, uh, testicular cancer or, Mm -hmm. you know, stomach cancer or whatever. And just, you know, I knew how hard it would be for me to hear that. And so for me, it just felt really hard. Um, And I felt that that was the hardest part to tell them that this was the case, but they were the first, after I'd spoken to my sister, they were the first place I went to go tell them about what was going on. And, and, you know, there was no reason for me to be nervous. Mm-hmm. You know, my, I, I 
got to my parents' house and, and my dad looked at me and I just started to cry and he came over and he says, well, whatever it is, we can deal with it. And then of course that makes you cry even harder. Yes, that <laughs> oh is so God. true. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you know, but they, they were fantastic. They were there to, to support and help every step of the way. And, you know, I, I do really feel that that was the hardest part. I mean, there were other parts that were hard, you know, you go mm-hmm. through pain, you go through nausea, not being able to taste your food, you know, you've got all kinds of things, your nails turn black, your, all your hair falls out, every mm-hmm. hair on your body. Yeah. Falls out. <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. you know? And, you know, your tongue turns, starts to turn black as well. And mm-hmm. it's just all kinds of things. But that to me, I felt was the hardest part. Beyond that part, I, I could deal with anything else. I felt mm-hmm. I could deal with anything else. I could definitely relate to that because that was one thing that I thought about too. It was like, gosh, I'm, I'm going to take my mom through all of this pain and stress. Um, so I can definitely relate to that. And in a way you do kind of feel a sense of, of guilt behind that. Mm-hmm. Um, but deep down, we know that um, our parents, our caregivers are not looking at it that way, but for some reason, it, there's just that feeling like, wow, you know, I'm doing this to my loved one. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what it felt like. I'm doing this. And it's I didn't. It's not something you choose to do. It's something mm-hmm. that you, you have to go through. But yes, it does feel like that very, yeah. very much so. <laughs> yes. So on a better note, what was something really good that came out of your cancer journey? I got to spend a lot of time with my daughter. She sat with me. She would color with me. We would turn on candles and turn on music and just be. I got to, I got to spend a lot of time with my son, you know, Mm -hmm. watching movies. Um, I think the best thing was the sense of calm that I could have because of the support that I had Mm -hmm. all around me no matter what I knew I had this incredible support system and because of that I could just be and and heal and you know go through what needed to 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 go through That's wonderful. And thank you for mentioning that because sometimes people that have not been through this experience, they don't truly grasp how important having that support system is. Absolutely. I, you know, my family from far and, and close were there every step of the way. And that's not to say that they were in my face all the time, (laughs) but I knew that if I needed to call any one of them, I didn't feel bad about it because I knew that that's what they, like they were at the ready. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, sometimes I had to pick up my kids. Sometimes, you know, some people, I took someone different with me every time I went to do chemo and because they had to spend pretty much the whole afternoon with me while Mm -hmm. I was there. And it allowed us this time to just talk and hang out and, and, and connect. 
And then on the way home, I'd fall asleep because of course the chemo would just kind of wear you out. Um, but there were, and then, you know, my, my community, they, they put together a food train. So there was always mm. dinner. So my husband didn't have to worry about that, which was so, so helpful mm-hmm. because there was no way that I was going to stand around and make dinner. And my husband has MS. Mm. And so he was already, he was still, he was working and he was already, we were both working to make sure that things stayed pretty normal for the kids. And so Mm -hmm. having people bring food every night was, was great because then my son was like, oh, what are we having tonight? He was (laughs) so excited. (laughs) He loves food. And so he would get so excited. And so, you know, all of those things, all of, all of that support was invaluable to mm-hmm. me and to my family and to my recovery. Yes. And you know, you're so blessed to have had that level of support because a lot of people don't have that. That's and true. it is harder for them. It is. It is. And I think about that. Mm-hmm. And so when, so that's why I never complain. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> I never complain. Even even when I was having pain, I didn't complain about the pain. I just went through the pain mm-hmm. um, because I knew that there was someone out there who was probably going through cancer, having the same pain that I was having and still having to go to work. And yes. I didn't have to. I could take the time to not go to work and call in and say, I can't do it today. But not everybody can do that. And, right. and, and they still have the nausea or they still have the fatigue and they still push through and they go and they, they do what needs to be done. And I know it's especially for kids mm-hmm. because they probably have kids that just like me, they're wondering what's going to happen to my child if I don't do this or if I don't, if I don't go through this, right? That's and so right. I don't ever complain about my cancer journey because it was mine that's right it was mine it was meant for me for whatever it came to teach me whatever it came to bring forth from me it Mm -hmm. was mine and that's what it was that's beautifully said and a great way to look at it what is something that you learned about yourself on your cancer journey? Um, <laughs> I learned that I could do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Because yeah. before you have cancer, you hear other people have cancer. And like, oh, my God, I don't know how. I don't know how. And, and it comes to you and you go okay, mm-hmm. where we are. You, mm-hmm. you realize that, hey, you know, I got to step up to the plate and just do what I got to do. Absolutely. That's what happens. You just kind of go. And there are choices. There are choices all along the way. Mm-hmm. There are choices that you make. I, when I look back, I realize that there was always a choice from, from the moment that I learned about my cancer until now, there's always a choice. I could have chosen to let that diagnosis be the end. It could have been the end. 
Mm-hmm. And, or I could have chosen what I chose, which was, okay, that's a diagnosis. There are things that can be done. Let's just do this and let's see what needs to happen. When I went in for my infusions, I could have chosen to go through them alone. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to have someone take me because I could stay awake if I needed to on the way home. I chose to have someone with me because I chose to feed off of the energy and the love that was being, you know, projected to me. Mm -hmm. And I chose to be more optimistic than pessimistic through the process. So whenever I was with my nurses, I mean, they were, they were my angels. They were awesome. And we would have really good times. <laughs> it was really sad, actually, <laughs> my last infusion. But, you know, we would have a really good time. We would be joking around. We would be talking about all kinds of things. They just really became um, people that I not only trusted with my health, but that I just, you know, liked being around, which was, mm-hmm. was, which was great. So there were so many things, so many places and so many ways that I could have chosen differently along the way. And I chose, I chose one way. I chose the way of this is not, this didn't come to kill me. This Mm -hmm. came to teach me. I need to stay open. And in staying open, you have to choose a positive mode of, 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 of pulling things towards you rather than a negative mode. If it came to teach you something, then that something is, it's there. It's just, are you paying enough attention to it? And are you, are you accepting it? Or are you fighting against it? And Mm -hmm. so I chose to just, whatever was happening, I accepted it as what needed to happen and kept it moving. That's right. Did you see it as a way to, um, in a sense, it, it showed up in your life to move you forward? 100%. Okay. 100%. It showed up in my life because to tell me that rest time was over it's time for you to actually get to doing what you were meant here to do. And that's how I find myself doing what I do now, because it. it, you know, I think for a very long time, I was just going by default. I was working jobs because they paid me to work mm-hmm. and they paid my bills and there was no passion. There was no excitement. It was just going through the motions. I could yeah. do them all in my sleep no problem. Mm -hmm. Um, But now what I'm doing now, I can't do it in my sleep. I'm constantly learning and I'm constant, but I'm constantly also going, wow, this is, this is incredible. How do I get more people to engage? How do I get more people to listen, to hear, to understand, and to also want to move the needle forward? And that is, you know, that is my that is where my passion lies. That is where my, my calling lies, right? How do I get more people to understand that racism is a system that if you're not doing something about it, you are 
in it and benefiting from it. And therefore you are a racist. And once you understand that, if you want to say, I am not a racist, you Mm -hmm. have to be actively anti-racist, which means you have to actively call out and do things in your life that are changing that system, that are dismantling it and breaking it down. And so, you know, I speak, frankly, I don't, I, I work not to mince words, but I, because I want you to hear and understand what I say, because it's so important. I've got children, I've got nieces, I've got nephews, I've got other people's children, you know, Mm -hmm. everyone's children is, we're all, all our children. And so the next generation needs to have a better, a better place to, to, grow than has been has there been progress sure but I also think that a (laughs) lot of things have simply shifted in their language and in the ways that they are done right absolutely so until we can actually totally dismantle them change the not just change the language or change how it's done but totally remove it from our zeitgeist mm-hmm. there's a lot of work to be done and so we have to do it I agree I agree so much with that and being an expert in equity inclusion and diversity were there some things that you noticed that could have been improved in regard to your cancer care and health care for yourself black people and other people of color Uh, excuse me, in my journey, I cannot, let's put it this way in this medical journey, Mm -hmm. I feel that the care I received was great, Good, good. but that is this medical journey. I've had a medical journeys before where I felt that there was discrimination and there was you know, um, stereotyping and there were, there were things that affected that journey, but in this journey, everything, I felt that everyone was paying attention and listening and reacting or acting as they needed to, in order to make sure that I was okay. And I really appreciate that. That's when you need it the most, Mm -hmm. that kind of medical journey. And I'm so happy that uh, you received that. I I do want to ask you for the situations, and this is to help the listeners also, Mm -hmm. for the situations where you felt like the care wasn't ideal, Mm -hmm. how how did you manage that? I, you know, the situation was that I was 27 years old. And I'd gotten pregnant Mm -hmm. and I went into preterm labor and I had fibroids. Let's put it. I didn't know that I had fibroids because I wasn't planning on getting pregnant. Mm -hmm. I got pregnant, realized that I had fibroids and one of my fibroids went into degeneration. Mm -hmm. I called the doctor's office and I said, I'm having some cramping. And they knew I was pregnant. I'm having some cramping. Oh, you need to just rest. Um, I said, do I need, can I 
go to work. Yes, you can still go to work. I kept having cramping because the degeneration causes your uterus to cramp up. It's, mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's dying tissue. So it's, it's causing, and then cramping causes preterm contractions. Yes. Mm-hmm. So the next day I called again and I said, I'm still having these pains. Is it okay for me to take something to take an ibuprofen? Because I was pregnant. I didn't know what I could or couldn't take. I'd never been pregnant before. That's right. And um, they said, yes, you can take something. So I did, but I was still having cramping. And so for the third call, I called and I said, I'm having cramping. I am 19 weeks and it's not going away. And the nurse on the other end said, well, why didn't you call us before? You should be here in the hospital. You need to come in. Hmm. Okay, I will be. Mm -hmm. I said, I did call and you told me to just rest, but I have to go to work. Right. You you shouldn't be working because I was single Mm -hmm. at the time. Mm -hmm. So I went into the hospital and what we found was that I had gone into labor. My mm. cervix had started to open and it was open about four centimeters and my, my amniotic sac was hanging. Oh, wow. The cervix, the, the yeah. opening. So I had to stay in the hospital and I had to stay in an inverted position where my head was lower than my legs so that we could try to get gravity to pull the sack back so that we can do a cerclage, which is the sewing of the cervix to close it up, to hold the baby inside so that we could get to, to the um, full pregnancy. Mm -hmm. But while I was there, the nurse, the nurse, I think it was two nurses that were just, I really thought in the moment I'm going through this trauma, (laughs) but I, and I was 27 years old, but I looked all of 17, Mm. honestly. And so I can only imagine what kind of stereotyping, what they were putting on me in terms of knowing, well, where's the father? Well, the father's not here. Mm -hmm. Oh, and so it was like, oh, and, and I said, well, I, ha- I have to, and I had to have a bedpan. So you're going through this emotional, just humiliating kind of mm-hmm. situation. And yeah. these people are not being kind. And at one point I said, I cannot pee. I need to pee. And they were like, and they ignored me. And so there was juice there and I knew I needed to drink, but I couldn't pee and I was in pain. And so finally they put in a catheter and the lady, the, the, the nurse comes in and she says, why aren't you drinking? You need to drink more. Don't you care about your baby? Mm. I'm laying in the hospital mm. in an inverted position until we can get to a surplage. But you're asking me if I don't care about <laughs> my baby. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like, you know, and the thing is that because all of these things were happening in that at that time at that juncture, Mm -hmm. I didn't have the voice, I don't think, to say what I wanted to say, but I 
but I, but I endured it. The impact was still there. That's right. What they were doing, Mm -hmm. the impact of what they were saying and how they were treating me was still there. Mm -hmm. Um, And no one should have to go through that. Mm -hmm. No one should have to go through microaggressions, discrimination, prejudice, while they are also fighting for their lives or fighting for their baby's lives or fighting for whatever it is when they're going through some traumatic experience, they should not have to deal with added ridiculousness Mm -hmm. on top of it because you have some idea. I was 27 years old. I had health insurance. I was working on my and living on my own. And yet this woman took one look at me and decided decided for herself what she thought was happening at that time. And you know, that's so sad because as you mentioned, you're in a very vulnerable state and it's, it's not like you want to react and get all worked up and angry and then further (laughs) add more of a possibility that something could go wrong. So it's kind of like, okay, you just kind of have to numb yourself in a sense. Right. You have to, you have to let it go. Um, if not for, if only for your sanity, mm-hmm. you have to let it go because in that moment, there's so many other things that you're thinking. There were so many other things that I was thinking about the, what got me to that position, where I was going to go after this, what was going to happen to the, the I didn't have time to think about mm-hmm. trying to school you or help you figure your self out. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause <laughs> I had to check. and and you were not being helpful at all you know yes absolutely thank you for sharing that I I I know that it'll help someone that's listening who may be in one of these situations where you their health is on the line and they have to decide how how do I manage this how do I deal with this and still get the care that I need right or as close well, to the care that I need. It would, yeah. Well, you know what I would say is to have someone there to advocate for you. Mm-hmm. Right? Always, if if at all possible, have someone there to advocate for you. Mm-hmm. And someone who would, you know, understand. My mom was there with me. But my mom, she wouldn't pick up on, on those things so much because she's an immigrant. And so for her, it's not as glaring as it is for me who is born and and raised here in this country Mm -hmm. um so have someone there who's going to look at and go "Uh -uh, uh -uh, uh -uh. what what is happening right now that's (laughs) not right but to be honest like my mom wasn't in the room at what those times when things were like that were happening it would not it would happen when I was alone Mm -hmm. when you know like she she would need to go home and do something or be out of the room and that's when you know those things would 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 come up so but yeah yeah that's that's unfortunate and I'm sorry you had to go through that but um that's why you do the work that you do that's why we need you during the work that you do (laughs) that's why yes 
Mm-hmm. And so do you want to share anything else about the work that you do? Anything else you want to enlighten us about? Uh, yeah, I, you know, I am a, I'm a podcast host because mm-hmm. I want to have these conversations and have more of them and have more solutions come forth. Or even if it's just telling the story, but have people listen and go, oh my goodness, I didn't think that that was something that could happen. I probably need to be more aware. I'm a consultant because I feel that companies focus a lot on diversity where in my mind, diversity is a product of creating a culture of equity and inclusion. So creating Mm -hmm. a space where diverse people feel comfortable, no matter what diversity they are, neurodiverse, body diverse, racially diverse, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And I'm a coach because I believe that each individual person needs to tap into their power So what is it that they're really good at? And what is it that they're passionate about? Put those things together and find that sweet spot to do social justice work. Social justice work doesn't mean that you have to go out there and protest. It doesn't mean that you even have to share things on, on your computer, behind your computer. It does mean that where you are, whatever industry you're in, whatever job you do, whatever business you own, you have the power to say, this is not the way it should be. Let's do it this way and change the way things are. Because Mm -hmm. when we look at industries, we think they're so, so big, but every industry is made up of people. If Mm -hmm. everyone were to walk out of a, a business right now, that business would collapse because it cannot live without the human factor. So think about that. Think about the power that you hold to affect change. And we each hold that power. And so that's why I do the consulting because the the coaching, because I want to help you do that. I want to help you tap into yourself so that you know that where you are, you can make that difference. And so you don't have to keep looking around and spreading your money around to different organizations, trying to appease your guilt. Mm. You can actually do something with what it is that you do, if you're a librarian, if you're a, a musician, if you're an artist, if you whatever it is, hairdresser, whatever it is that you do, you can affect change. And that is what social justice and social change looks like. It is not the big, huge, those are good too, but everyone has a part to play. I love that. And you are so right. Even though we're in a sense, taught to feel like we don't have power and all these other things are going against giants and machine, all Mm -hmm. these terms and things that we're told. Thank you for reminding us that we all can do something. We all have a part to play and we have that power within us. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I love that. Mm -hmm. Excellent. And before we leave, I always ask my guests these two questions. The first one is, um, what is something that you've learned in life that you would like to share with the audience? I have learned that, I think the most important thing that I've learned is that the most important time is now. Mm. The most important moment is right now. And what you do intentionally right now 
decides what happens next. Excellent. And what is next for you? What is next? Well, I'm (laughs) loving what I'm doing. I want (laughs) to do it on a bigger scale. I want to be able to, uh, next year, I'm focusing on doing more speaking engagements at, for different companies, not necessarily trainings. I don't believe in one-off trainings. I do believe in going in and inspiring people to be the change or to make the changes that they need. And I want to coach more people into understanding that they have, that they have their power. So that's what I'm doing. So important. And if people want to connect with you, if they have questions, where can they find you? I am at Cedrola, S-E-D-R-U-O-L-A. And I can almost 100% guarantee <laughs> that if you put my name in Google, <laughs> I will be the only one you find. S E D R U O L A. And it's Cedrola on Instagram, Cedrola on Twitter, Cedrola Maruska, which is S E D R U O L A M A R U S K A.com, Cedrola Maruska on Facebook and Cedrola Maruska on Patreon. Look her up, you guys. She (laughs) has a lot to say. She's a very special lady. And Cedrola, I just want to thank you so much for joining us today, sharing your story, your wisdom, and educating us about all the wonderful work that you do. Thank you so much for having me, Talalia. I loved it. (laughs) Uh, Thank you so much for being here. It's been a pleasure and an honor. And before we end today, I'd like to give a shout out to the listeners. Thank you so much for joining us today. That is it for this Wednesday. And until next time, let's keep navigating cancer together. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Navigating Cancer Together. I hope you enjoyed it. Please be sure to subscribe. And if you appreciate the show, drop a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. For notes from the show, visit ontheotherside.life and check out the podcast section. After you check out the show notes, head over to my gift shop and show yourself or someone special in your life some love with gifts of encouragement, hope, and positive affirmations. I would love it if you joined us for the next episode. Talk to you soon.